Hello and welcome to the podcast for the October 2009 issue of The Lancet Infectious Diseases. Richard Lane here and I'm joined this month by TLID's editor John McConnell. John, you're recently back from uh, an important international influenza meeting in China. Let's kick off with that and a lot of the relevant content of the issue is about influenza. Tell us about the meeting, first of all, which you, I see you've covered in the news section. Yes, that's right. Well, this is a meeting that uh, was jointly organised by The Lancet and by the uh, Chinese Minister of Health, held in uh, Beijing in August 21st, 23rd. Uh, representatives from 20 governments from the Asia-Pacific region, so it was a, quite an important and very well-attended meeting. Obviously, it focused primarily on uh, what's going on with the pandemic situation at the moment, though we did touch on uh, H5N1 and uh, and seasonal flu as well, and the, uh, certainly the importance of vaccine. Um, I think the vaccine story is the one that's really breaking now and uh, the whole issue about the availability of the vaccine and the priority group for receiving the vaccine. Uh, I think that's going to be the next big issue when we're dealing with the, the next wave of the flu pandemic. Indeed, and that links in with the Leading Edge editorial. Obviously, John, I guess from reading it, the questions I have is we've got to draw on the experience, presumably, of the Southern Hemisphere who are coming out of their winter and the Northern Hemisphere. Yeah. We're now in, in, into autumn. And also this issue you just mentioned about prioritisation for the vaccine. There seems to be some debate there as to whether children, for example, should be right at the top of the list. Well, there are some researchers who believe that school-aged children should be the highest priority for um, receiving the vaccine because they are, in effect, acting as the sort of mixing vessels for the the de- dissemination of the of the pandemic, uh, and it certainly now appears to be the case that in the United States, where schools have gone back, then the um, the, the pandemic is just starting to um, to resurge, um, and that does appear to be linked fairly conclusively with the return of school children to their um, educational establishments. So you could argue that the best way to use the vaccine, while it's uh, in the early stages of the campaign when supplies will be fairly limited is to give it to school-aged children. But that, um, as is discussed in this um, editorial, is quite a hard sell because what, in effect, you're doing there is you're, you're giving a vaccine to protect society at large rather than just to protect the the individual. And that, that's a, a a different philosophy behind a vaccination campaign than, than has been the case for almost any other campaign that's uh, gone before. So I, I have a feeling that what will actually happen is that we will give the vaccine to the priority groups which have already been identified and in the order which they've been identified, such as healthcare workers, pregnant women, uh, and individuals with uh, chronic medical conditions before it, um, the supplies move on to be given to, uh, to children and otherwise healthy adults. And just returning to the debate in China at the conference and drawing on the experience of other countries, and as I mentioned, particularly in the, in the Southern Hemisphere, what kind of insights are given particularly about the anticipated threat of the next wave of the H1N1 campaign? Because obviously, if you take the United Kingdom here, we had estimates, didn't we, of talking about maybe 60,000 deaths that yes. were then revised down to about 19, 19,000. Well, again, I, I think you're right, is that the, that revision downwards to the uh, worst case scenario uh, of now 19,000 deaths in the UK is based on the experience in uh, in the Southern Hemisphere, in Australia in particular, where the uh, the disease was a, a pretty mild one, and the demands on the health service were were found to be um, not beyond what had already been uh, planned for. So uh, so that information suggests that we are going to see uh, the next wave of the pandemic in the northern hemisphere, which will be no worse than say a one of the more severe seasonal flu uh, epidemics, which which occurs every year. Indeed. And just um, keeping with the influenza theme slightly, John, as we move on to one of the reviews, and this is looking at 
if you like, the association or the relationship between influenza and um, cardiac disease. Do you want to just touch on the background to this? Yeah, so this is a systematic review, which, as you say, is the um, uh, whether influenza acts as a trigger for um, acute myocardial infarction or other cardiovascular disease. It comes from a group of authors um, at the Royal Free Hospital in London. And they found, looking at all sorts of different types of studies, that there is a unquestionable association between uh, influenza-like illness and subsequent um, heart disease. Um, now, of course, the next logical thing to say is, will people, therefore, uh, who are at risk of heart disease, will they be protected by vaccination? Uh, and there, I think we have to say that the, the data are, um, um, are not nearly so clear-cut as they are with the, uh, the basic association. So a um, pretty limited number of studies. Uh, one of them shows a clear association between uh, vaccination against flu and uh, protection from uh, cardiovascular disease. The other study doesn't show that uh, association. Anything uh, is, is inconclusive. So overall, we have to say that the, the evidence is inconclusive on whether uh, vaccination is actually protective. But the authors do say that, um, do recommend that people who are at risk of cardiovascular disease should most definitely have the, the flu vaccine. And they point out that the uptake of vaccine in that group at present is, is fairly poor and something needs to be done to uh, bolster uptake in at-risk groups. Thanks, John. That's uh, an interesting area. And as you say, it's understudied. So when we have more data, we'll obviously know more about what's going on there. And finally, John, let's um, just move out of the world of influenza for a moment. And uh, just briefly cover another review, and this is looking, well, we look, we're talking about HIV-AIDS, but specifically we're looking at antiretroviral therapy in low- and middle-income countries. What are the main issues here, John? Well, there's uh, issues surrounding, of course, just the, the rollout of uh, ARVs to all those people who need them, and we've not got anywhere near covering all the population who might benefit from antiretroviral therapy in low- and middle-income countries. Then, of course, there's the question of when to start therapy. There's uh, monitoring of resistance. There's uh, issues around um, switching of, of regimens. So there are, there are many issues to be addressed beyond whether uh, people actually have the uh, drugs available. And I think there's some relevance here to the fact that the WHO will shortly uh, be issuing their annual report on the availability of um, antiretroviral therapy in, in low- and middle-income countries. Many thanks, John. Those are some of the highlights from the October 2009 issue of The Lancet. In fact,